web broadcast of New Life Foursquare Church in Milledgeville, Georgia. Thanks for joining us today. We encourage you to download the sermon notes from our website and follow along as Dr. Terry Stair brings you the uncompromising Word of God. Here's Dr. Terry Stair with today's message. On the altar, because this is Father's Day, we have all these honored fathers. Now, the thing that is very important about these fathers is that without the men that are on this table, you wouldn't be here. That's the primary importance of these men. Whether they were good men, bad men, blessed men, or cursed men, they did make some kind of a contribution to your life. I uh, read on the internet the other day a lady who said, My sperm donor has borrowed my car and won't give it back to me. And uh, I, I listened and watched all the other people write in response to telling her how to get her car back without ever addressing the phrase, the sperm donor. Finally, somebody did. The person that addressed it said, You know, how would you like it if we called you a sperm receptacle? And of course, then the other women chimed in and said, why is it always the woman's fault? And I knew that I couldn't win or lose if I said anything about her. I could not win and I could not lose. So I chose to deal with her father. And I simply said, I'm sad that fathers do not protect their daughters. Some of the other people chimed in and said, Well, she was of age, a consenting adult. And I said, since when does age have anything to do with morality? She's her father's responsibility until the day he gives her away to another man. So then another person chimed in and said, well, maybe she didn't have a father. I said, well, then we're back to our original post. I'm sorry that fathers don't protect their daughters. He may not have been in her life, he may not have taken care of her, but he had to have made some contribution to her being here. Maybe he was a sperm, sperm donor, I don't know. I mean, it's amazing that women sometimes do this. Uh, the survey proves. The other day they did a national survey and found that most women marry men like their fathers. So if her boyfriend, whatever you want to call him, was a sperm donor, maybe her daddy was too. A few minutes later, another lady chimed in and said, Are there really fathers out there that take care of their daughters? I wouldn't know. So out of all that conversation, I was able to minister to this one girl who was thinking about suicide for whatever was going on in her life. And I just continued to tell her that even though her father had never been involved with her life, maybe the Father in Heaven still does care enough that He would do something to help her. She talked about her sickness, so I told her that I would pray for her, that God would heal her. She said she'd never had anybody pray for her before. Nobody had ever shown an interest in whether or not she was well or not. 
shape of fatherhood is bad. It is really bad. Overall, the whole world. Yesterday, I watched a program where a father in Africa would not allow his daughter to be married unless the man could give his family 300 cows. And in the process of this negotiation, they asked him, why do you think your daughter is worth 300 cows? He said, well, not counting all the things I know about her as being a good person, a nice person, a hard worker, she's pretty. And women in Africa that are pretty are worth more than those who are ugly. I mean, he had some logic anyway. The boy only had 70 cows. So he went to all of his relatives and asked them to make a donation to help him to have this marriage completed. So with the help of his family, he raised 120 cows. Still far short of the 300. He went to all the women and he told them, you know, I will be a good husband to her. And all the women, you know, they have to be a part of it. So they said, well, you're giving him 120 cows. What are you going to give us if we speak our peace? And he said, well, you know, I'll try to give you some cows too. They said, well, thank you because we're hungry. You can see by our bellies that we don't get enough to eat. He went out right then and killed one of his cows, one of the important cows for his wife, and fed all those women to show them that he intended to do good by them. That he wouldn't just marry this girl, but that he would also help to take care of them. All the elders got together with the father and they talked about it. And one of the things that really came in his favor was They said, you know how we all love our cows. It's our symbol of importance. It's our symbol of uh, power and authority in our community. If he's going to give every single cow that he has in order to get her, he must be a good man. Even though it's not what we ask, it's all that he has. So they said, we accept. And they gave her. She walked away and said, you know, in our culture I'm not allowed to express my desires. It's up to them to choose. She said, but I've loved him since he was a little boy. But I couldn't tell any of them that. It might sway them to choose something else. She said, I had to keep my feelings secret. She said, had they chose someone else for me, I would have... Went willingly and been with him, but I would not have loved him. She said, I'm so happy that they chose the man that I love. The camera came back on him for a few seconds and said, How do you feel now? He said, I feel wealthy. They said, But you have none of your cows. He said, I have a treasure that is worth more than my cows. What a man. What a man. You know, our men in America are filled with selfishness and self-centeredness. We want our own way. We make sure that we get what we want and everyone else gets the scraps. In that culture, you have to give your most valuable possession and you get the scraps. I'm going to quote.
course, if any of us have lived long enough, we've probably said at one time or another how ignorant and dumb our father was. Mark Twain said, when I was a little boy, I could not stand to have that ignorant man around me. He said, when I became 25, I just just was so surprised at how much he had learned in seven or eight years. My father gave me the greatest gift a person can ever give. He believed in me. That's what Jim Volcano said. Here's the dad's guide to changing diapers. Lave the diaper out like a baseball diamond and set the baby on the pitcher's mount. Bring first plate over towards third plate and bring up home and pin them all together. In case of rain... Call the game and start on over. <laughs> Mario Cuomo said, I talk and I talk and I talk and in 15 years I have not been able to teach others what my father taught me in one week by just living it. And of course, kind of what I said earlier any man can be a father, but it takes somebody special to be a dad. And the final one is, a true father carries pictures in his wallet where his money used to be. I know he doesn't have any money left, so he puts his real treasures where his money used to be. Ten things the father will not hear. Billy's on my side of the car, but it's okay. He's my brother and I love him. I don't want the $200 sneakers that everyone has. Can we just buy the less expensive ones? Now, keep in mind, these are the things fathers don't hear. I mowed the lawn, washed the car, took out the garbage. Is there anything you want me, else you want me to do? I don't need an allowance this week. You buy yourself something, Dad. It's not going to happen. Dad, would it be okay if I finished my ice cream cone before I get in the new car? Dad, I really want to keep my wedding small and inexpensive. (laughs) Honey, the kids and I are going away. Enjoy the game. (laughs) Dad, we've been been misbehaving here in the back seat. Turn the car around. (laughs) Not going to happen. Honey, I think we need a bigger TV. And then the number one thing that fathers will not hear. Thanks, Dad, for taking us to church. Andy Griffin was interviewed the other day. 
about his life and his relationship with Opie. You know, Opie had, uh, or Ron Howard, had a, a very unique thing. He had, he had the opportunity to be raised by two dads. His real dad and then Andy Griffith. And who could have better parents than that? In fact, I, I remember years ago hearing Opie say, or uh, Ron Howard say, that one of the things that he liked about Andy Griffin was that when they were sitting down reading a scene, the way the writers had wrote it, if it involved Opie, Andy would look to him and say, do you think that a kid would really do that? And Opie always had the opportunity to correct the script in the way that he thought a a child would really react or really respond. And he said, even though I was a little boy, he always treated me as an actor like him. And that impressed me and made me grow to love this man. You know, if it wouldn't have been for just a few little turns of, 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 of events in Andy Griffith's life, do you know that Andy Griffith would have become a minister? Years later, one of his friends came to him and said, You know, Andy, I remember you from when you were a kid. And you always wanted to be a great preacher. He said, isn't it amazing how God made you a great preacher? The whole world hears your sermons. And they come on all the time. They asked him about his dad. What did your dad teach you? He said, well, in all the things that I've done all my life, the one thing that my dad taught me was to never be dishonest. To be honest and truthful even though it might be difficult. And I, I think that anybody that's ever had any kind of reading about him or experience with him in, in the movies can see coming through that he's not just a good actor, but that's really who he is. That's the kind of a man he really is. An honest and decent person. Aunt B, Aunt B on that show... And him did not get along. Now, we can't see that when we watch the show. But they did not get along. In fact, he had to pull her arm all the time to get her to do things because she just was an ornery old lady. But he would always remind her, now, you're playing a sweet character. You're playing a nice little old lady. You, you know, this is the way you need to handle that. And she just was so aggravated that he would correct her or that he would show her some better way to do it. And she would throw her little fits and tantrums just becoming late, making them take more takes, whatever she could do to make sure that he knew that she was aggravated with him. But when she died, he went to her hometown which is not far from where he lived. In fact, I think she lived in Mount Airy. But uh, he went to her hometown to her funeral. And they said that even though she had a family, people that loved her and were her relatives, that the person who cried the most at her funeral was Andy. Because you see, she was his aunt. And he really loved her. The Bible says to honor your father and mother so that you may live long 
in the land that the Lord God has given you. It's unfortunate, but some men want to be honored without deserving it. They feel like because they're simply a husband or a father or a provider that they deserve to be honored. You know, you can, you can say, well, people should be respected simply because of their office. And I, I think the principle is correct. But it's harder to respect people that don't live up to the office. It's difficult. And so for men to demand that somebody would respect them simply because they hold a specific office is just confusion. When we did uh, the lesson the other night, lesson two in the, uh, in the manhood study, he said that men are in the state of confusion. And I don't know that there's any truer statement about men. That generally speaking, men do not know how to relate to women. They do not know how to relate to their children correctly. They do not know how to relate to other men. And even though I, I try to take the uh, few minutes that I'm given every week to, to teach people and to help them to discover the truth about this, it seems like Mario Como, the more I talk, the less people really get it. Because you see, some people really do not want to get it. And other people are just so tied up in what's happening in their own little world that they, they let most of what's said to them go in one ear and out the other. They don't make notes. They don't make mental notes. They don't take what's said and go back and, and, and meditate on it for a while to allow it to really soak in. You know when a cow is out there chewing its cud? It's grinding that food up again so that the nourishments that are in that food can be released. And it does that over and over again so that it actually sucks every single vitamin and, and every single blessing to its body out of that food. A lot of us, we just eat by gulping it down. And we expect that our stomach will just take care of it. We should chew our food carefully. The spiritual food of life by meditation. Allow it to sink in and soak in and create a vision and a perspective in our mind of the kind of a father we should be, of the kind of man we should be. We were taught a few weeks ago that a man has four faces. Most of us do not live in any of the faces other than the, the king face. We want to be the king of our castles. We want everybody in the family to bow down and kiss our feet because the king has now come home. But that's the definition of a king in the world, not a king in the kingdom of God. Because the Bible clearly teaches that our king, Jesus, when he came to this earth, his message to all others was that you are the leader by serving. That's how you are the leader. Not by being served, but by serving. 
When he bent down to wash Peter's feet, Peter was so upset and said, you, you should not be doing this. This is a servant's job. This is something that is below you. You're my master, my Lord. You should not be washing my feet. And he basically said to Peter, Peter, you do not understand my message. You don't understand what I'm about. And if, if you want to be a part of me, then, then you have to let me serve you. And Peter said, okay, then wash my whole body. And Jesus said, you didn't get it. You think it's about washing. It's not about washing. It's about serving. That's why I've had a few arguments with people that have foot washing in church. I don't have anything against foot washing in church. But I've always thought it was kind of silly. Anybody in here ever been to a foot washing? I always thought it was kind of silly to go to a foot washing service and everybody's feet are clean. I mean, the purpose of washing feet is to get them clean. <clears throat> so I've always wanted to have enough courage to go to a foot washing service, but before that, make sure I was barefooted for an entire week before I get there. So they'll have something to really wash. It's not about washing, it's about serving. That's why when you see some trash in a neighbor's yard, or you see a yard not mowed, or you see a need in a brother and sister, and you do something to help them, that is washing their feet. That's what Jesus meant. He didn't mean just keep washing feet. That shows service. No, He said, do something that ministers to them. How are they dirty? You know, sometimes people will come here, and I, I'll start talking to them about things, and they'll, they'll go, well, you know, I didn't come here for a sermon. Let me tell you something. What did you come here for then? That's the main thing I do is teach. If people don't want to learn, they shouldn't come around me. That's what I do is teach. And I teach with the desire to see results, meaning I want to see you changed. Because if you meet me and you do not change, what was the point? What was the point? I remember the time me and Heather drove by a man standing on the corner and he had a sign, We'll work for food. She said, Daddy, why don't we help that man? I've had a little bit more experience than her, so I said, Well, honey, you just don't understand. He doesn't really want any food. She said, But he has a sign, Dad, said he's we'll work for food. I said, Okay. So we came home, we made a bologna sandwich, put a bag of chips in there, and went and got a Coke out of a Coke machine. And I drove up to him. I said, sir, I have some grass at the church that you can mow. Oh, I got a bad back. I can't be mowing grass. I said, well, I have some things that need to be picked up. Can you pick those up? No, I can't. I said, how about washing my car? No, I can't get wet. I have arthritis. I said, you got a sign here that says we'll work for food. What can you do? Oh, not much. You know, that limits what he's going to be able to get. <laughs> so I said, you know what? I, I've got a giving heart today. Here. Here's a sandwich, some chips, and my daughter has a Coke for you. He set it right down on the ground. said, thank you. I said, you ain't going to eat that? Well, I was really kind of hoping to get some money so I could go and check into a motel. I said, then your sign is deceiving. 
it said, I will work for food, not work for money to get to go to a motel. Put an honest sign out there, you might get an honest help. He didn't really want any help. He just wanted a handout. What is a king like according to the Bible? How many has ever had a compass? You ever been in, in a situation where you had a compass? You had to, had to help yourself uh, find your way. A compass <coughs> always points north. Well, the king face is the north direction on a compass. It points north. The king is Jesus. He's our model. And our desire should be or should want to be like him. If you've mistreated a woman, just try and imagine yourself how Jesus has ever, would he have ever treated a woman the way you have done that. And if he would not do that, then you know what? Your compass is pointing somewhere else. It's not pointing north to the king. Because the compass should tell you this is the way the king does it. This is the way you're doing it. Men, I've had men tell me, well, you don't understand. No, I don't understand. But I guarantee you one thing, if we could go back to before you married that woman, there probably was one or two people telling you, you probably shouldn't get married right yet. And you just bullheaded right on through. So, as the old saying goes, you made your bed, now lie in it. Instead of trying to get out of it. Keep pointing north. Somebody said, well... I don't understand. That means I'm going to have to sacrifice. I'm going to have to give of myself. I'm going to have to uh, let her have her way. Hmm, sounds familiar, don't it? That's what Jesus did. He was a servant to others. Let them have their way. Gave of himself. Didn't think of himself. The servant spirit. Courageous morals. Jesus was not afraid. He was not afraid to tell people what he believed. And he had strong beliefs. He didn't have wishy-washy beliefs. Have you ever had anybody ask you, what, would it, what do you believe? And you tell them, and then they say, well, where do you get that? And you haven't even got a scripture for it? If you don't know where it is in the Bible, you don't know what you believe. You haven't got any strong convictions. Strong convictions have something to prove it. Something to base it on. The Word of God. And courageous morals. I remember the first time my child told me, I hate you. My own spirit wanted to walk away and get in the corner and cry. That my children hated me. But my strong convictions took a hold of me and I looked him in the eye and said, hate me now, love me later. It's okay. You'll change. Your mind will change. Your convictions will change. It's unfortunate, but some people don't learn the lesson until the person they were supposed to learn the lesson from is already gone. But you will learn it. You'll either learn it one way or you'll learn it another and it's time for people that name the name of God as their Savior and Lord. And you know what Lord means? It means it's somebody that tells you what to do. If Jesus is Lord, then you need to grow up 
and start walking in the Lordship of Jesus. I don't wonder what I'm going to do on Sundays. I don't miss church. In fact, if I didn't go to church, I'd be walking the floors wondering, well, what am I going to do today? It's not an option for me. I've grown up. I've grown past that. I thank this man right here. He, he, he's got a lot of problems with him. Some things that are messed up and weird. But the one thing he taught me, by his own example, was that God should be first. Do you know what? When him and I had our major conflict, and I haven't spoken to my dad in seven years, not because I don't want to, but because he just doesn't want to talk to me. But our major conflict came in with something he taught me. I remember one day that we were talking and he said, Son, you should do what I say. I said, You're right, Dad. I said, But you're forgetting two things. What you're telling me to do conflicts with what you taught me earlier. You taught me to make Jesus Lord of my life, not you. He is my Lord, not you. My dad didn't know what to do. He didn't know what to say. Because he had taught me the right thing and now he wanted me to do something else. My dad one time even told me to abort my son when he had taught me that life was sacred. I looked him in the eye and said, you've you've changed. But I know the Word of God because you taught me that. So I know that you've fallen away from the compass, not me. The compass still is the same. You know what? You can, you can do all kinds of things to a compass. Shake it. Uh, just whatever. But it's still going to point north. That's, it's made to do the same thing no matter what. And when you have a compass in your life, and that's what he taught me, a compass. I remember one time when I talked to him about some of the things that he had done. And he said, well, what did you want me to do? I said, I wanted you to do what the compass said. Do what the Word says. But there's a lot of things that he taught me that were good. He taught me to pray. He taught me to read my Bible. He taught me to go to church. He taught me to put God above anything. And I remember one time he taught me, he said, you know, you must love God more than you love father, sister, father, mother, sister, or brother. And I'll never forget that conversation that we had. And he was saying, I am your dad. I said, yeah, I know that. You told me that I'm supposed to love God more than I love my Father. And I'm here to tell you that I do. Not that I don't care about you, but I will not go against my Heavenly Father. I will not. So I thank God for the good teaching that He taught me that still is my compass. That still keeps me pointed in the right direction. No matter what happens with him or anyone else, I still have the Word of God, which shows me. The Bible says, But the path of the just is like the shining sun that shines brighter and brighter until the perfect day. You know, when we start out as fathers, we may start out in the beginning not really knowing how to do what we're supposed to do. 
And then it's unfortunate when we get no children at home, we finally realize, hmm, now I know what I should have done. Because it does. It gets brighter and brighter. You know, me and Debbie could do it a whole lot better now. Because <laughs> we kind of know all the ins and the outs of it. I remember one time when I sat down with one of my sons and I said, thank you for letting me practice on you. And forgive me for all the things I did that was not a good practice. You know, we make mistakes in our lives. My dad's picture is here because I forgive him. I don't hold anything against him. I I know that he's just a man. He used to be my hero. I always wanted to be just like him. Then I came to a place where I wanted to be better than him. (laughs) I remember one of my sons saying the other day, I want to be better than you. And I, I stopped him and I corrected him. I said, no, what do you mean? Better than I used to be or better than I am now? What do you mean by that? And you think about it. What do you really mean? Where's your perspective? Proverbs 20 and 7 says, The righteous man walks in integrity and his children are blessed after him. Integrity sometimes is interpreted as being perfect. Let me, let me burst that bubble for you right now. No man is perfect. But what integrity means is that when a man discovers that he's made a mistake, he corrects it. The men who correct their mistakes and do better, or at least change course, those men have integrity. It's the bullheaded man who keeps going the same old way and will not change. He has no integrity. So I pray that this morning you will forgive your dads, love them, And if you're a dad, that you'll change the way you're handling your fatherhood. Even if your kids are already gone, you're still a father. You're a father till the day you die. Last night, Debbie and I went to the store, and as we're walking through the store, this family was right in front of us, and they kind of was trying to get out of the way, and we just said, it's okay. And they said, well, we're sorry. We got such a big family. That's why we can't get, out, can't get out of your way fast. I said, it's no problem. I said, how big is your family? I said, we have five. I said, well, that's not a big family. They said, oh, you just don't know. I said, yes, I do. And I whipped out my billfold. <laughs> With no money in it. And I showed them my family. And they said, you had five too. I said, yeah. And if we knew what we know now, we would have had more. Children are not a, a curse. The curse is you don't, you don't learn how to deal with them. You don't learn how to love them and how to, how to lead them. And a lot of parents are like Caligula's dad. Caligula's dad let him rule him. Can you imagine a man who's a general of a whole legion having a little five-year-old boy tell him what to do? That's the way some parents are. They want to be their children's friends. So they let their kids tell them what to do. Run over them. 
instead of providing clear biblical leadership. I want to be my kids' friends too, but I realized a long time ago I've either got to be their friend or their father. I can't be both. Bow your head with me. Lord, we ask you to forgive us for the mistakes that we've made and we ask you for the integrity to change it. Father, we know that without you we can't do anything, so we we come to you, Lord, and ask you to help us. Help us, Lord, to change that about ourselves so that we can live lives that are pleasing to you. We also ask you, Lord, that if we're still struggling with some things that our Father did to us, that we'll forgive that Father. That we'll find a picture of Him and put it in a prominent place in our home. Not to celebrate His failures, but to celebrate His success. Because He did something right. Even if it was only one thing. Help us, Lord, to meditate on that one thing. To honor that. To remember it. And to tell our children about it someday. And Father, help us to be like Him in that one way. And when it all comes down to it in the end, Lord, help us to learn the ways of our Heavenly Father. who loved us while we were sinners, who gave His Son for us. And help that, Lord, to change what we think about Him and about ourselves. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.